0: Welcome to Austin New Church Podcast. My name is Stephanie Swan, and I'm the children's pastor here. If this is your first time here, we're so happy that you've decided to join us. We are a progressive faith community dedicated to the pursuit of inclusion and social justice. Whether you're a beloved out-of-towner or just catching up, please enjoy this week's message. morning. If you don't know me, I'm Catherine Johnston. I am the teaching and creative pastor here at ANC. What, what? And uh, I'm not going to say my middle name like Jason does for some odd reason. reason. Actually, if you really want to know, my middle name is Elizabeth, which I'm sure you don't want to know that. But by the way, if you're picking a baby name... Just think about the fact, like think about would the name you're picking, the first, middle, and last name, fit on a driver's license? Because my name is so long, Catherine Elizabeth Johnston, that it won't fit. Like it's too long for a tweet, I think. I mean, I don't know, is Twitter a thing? (laughs) I don't know if it is or not, but. Anyways, yesterday, um, the rabbi, Jason and Trey, and I went to the rabbi's synagogue, and we shared just a delightful day together for their first day of the festival of Sukkot. Um, We shared poetry and food and sacred texts and an interfaith dialogue with them. And we're just so grateful for the warmth and hospitality of that community. I just feel an overwhelming sense of unconditional positive regard um, when I'm with the rabbi and with that community. So I just wanted to show you that picture. It was a beautiful day. But this morning, before we really dive in, Um, I would like to invite us all sort of into an intentional pause this morning, just for permission for you to release whatever it is you might need to release this morning. So if you would like, and you don't have to, but if you would like, close your eyes or soften your gaze on something in front of you, find the breath in your body, feel your feet on the ground, let your shoulders drop, if they'll cooperate with that this morning, Release the tension in your forehead and your jaw. And with your eyes still closed, bring your attention to your mind's eye. Imagine with me that you're standing in a circle with other people. And look around the circle. Who's there? Do you see strangers, familiar faces, friends, family, lovers? Now look at the center of your circle. What is in your center? Is it a glowing light, a stone, a tree, a fountain, empty space? It's gonna be different for all of us, but what is in your center? Now imagine that you join hands with the other people in the circle and you begin to say together in a quiet voice, these three words, love, one, another love one another you can open your eyes this fall the lectionary walks us alongside jesus in the book of matthew and over and over again we saw and we will see jesus teach on the kingdom of heaven and he's going to answer questions like what is it where is it who's in who's out who's in charge of this kingdom Last week, Jason peeled back the layers of the parable, the labors in the vineyard, and we saw the kernel of the question that Jason asked us. Wouldn't it be nice if we all lived in the reality that we all deserve love, even and maybe especially ourselves? And this week, we pick up with Jesus in the temple. He's teaching the people like he was last week. And our text for today is going to have two different sections. We're going to read them separately. In the first, Jesus is having sort of an argument with the religious leaders. And in the second, he's going to tell a parable. So let's read the first portion of our text, Matthew 21, verses 23 through 27. Jesus' authority is questioned. Verse 23, when he, Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it from human origin? Okay, let's pause for a second. What things are the religious leaders referring to in this passage? Well, the day before what we're reading here, Jesus comes into Jerusalem after sort of hiding out as a country rabbi for most of his life. And he busts straight into the temple where he starts flipping over tables. We didn't read that last week, but that's like what happens right before this. And now he flips over those tables and he sets up a classroom in somebody else's religious space and starts teaching the people so understandably the religious leaders are like who do you think you are like where did you go to school what credentials do you have who trained you they're the gatekeepers of that power and they're looking around at each other asking who let this guy in where did he come from but Jesus doesn't answer their question directly instead he, a- he asks a question about John the baptizer which is so strange to me. Like, why John? What does that have to do with Jesus? If you remember, John is the one who baptized Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and this baptism authorized Jesus his leadership in the eyes of the people because they regarded John as a prophet sent from God. So just think about that when we read this next section. In verse 25, and they, the religious leaders, argued with one another If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know which one it is. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This whole exchange, I think, is hilarious. It makes me laugh. I think because Jesus knew this was a trick question. He knew it was gonna stump them because they wanted to pander to the people and they wanted to question Jesus' authority and they couldn't do both at the same time. But really, this question, does Jesus' authority come from heaven or does it come from humans? What if Jesus, What if? why can't the answer be both? Jesus himself said that the kingdom of heaven is within you. Jesus himself prays for things to be on earth as they are in heaven. Jesus' teaching, I think, thins the veil between the spiritual and the material because the material and the spiritual are linked inextricably and the ancient Greco-Roman world that Jesus was teaching in, they didn't have a cosmology that allowed for that view of that linking. In their minds, the soul was separate from the body. Heaven and hell, good and evil, God and Satan, they were distinct separates, not interconnected parts of the same whole, but I think Jesus is trying to communicate this truth in their language and with their metaphors, and it wasn't sinking in because it would have had dramatic implications for the power structures of their day, just like it does for us now. Because Jesus, I believe, is implying that authority doesn't come from some external source. Authority comes from inside The truth was that the leaders in this story they aren't depicted as caring about actual spiritual authority. They care about institutional authority. They care about maintaining power, not what empowers the people. They care about maintaining their own sphere of institutional influence, not what sets people free. They worked hard to follow the rules and go through the steps and get the credentials and put in the time. And then here comes some unknown, undermining their control and calling into question their insecure authority. I think Jesus sees all of that because what they're really asking Jesus is not where he gets his authority, it's if you can do all of this without the credentials that we have, then what does that say about the value of our credentials? What does that say about our own authority and all the work we did to get here? They're questioning him from a place of insecurity and a place of jealousy and a place of fragility. Jesus points them inward for them to know their own heart. Do they understand the indivisibility of the spiritual and the material? And if the answer is no, then how can they possibly recognize actual authority when they see it and they don't? They feel threatened by Jesus's power, a power that's derived not from an institution, not from the top down. It's an inner authorization that springs up out of the human heart. It's an authorization that grew in a womb and gave birth to itself not in a palace, not in a temple, not in the sterile seat of institution, but in the dark and damp earthiness of a grotto, in the mess of a manger. That's the kind of authority that Jesus had. Edwina Gately is a poet and a wise spiritual teacher who has chosen to practice in a religion where women cannot be ordained as priests. And I want to read a poem to you called The Anointing. It's what she has to say about spiritual authority. Just listen. There were no crowds at my ordination. The church was cold and bare. There was no bishop to bless and consecrate. No organ music filled the air. No solemn procession went before me, no cross nor incense smell. There was no song nor incantation and no pealing triumphant bell. But I heard the children laughing in the stench of city slums. And I heard the people sobbing at the roaring of the guns and the stones cried out before me as the sirens wailed and roared and the blood of women and children in the arid earth was poured. There were no crowds at my ordination. The church was cold and bare, but the cries of people gathered and the songs of birds filled the air. The wind blew cold before me and the mountains rose and split and the earth, it shuddered and trembled and a flame eternal was lit. There were no crowds at my ordination. The church was cold and bare, but the spirit breathed oh so gently in the free and open air. She slipped through the walls and the barriers, and from the stones of the earth she proclaimed, Oh, see my blind, blind people. See, woman whom I have ordained. Whatever system of authority you grew up with, you don't need the authorization of anyone but your own conviction, the spirit that whispers to you in the free and open air. Because Jesus says, earth says, spirit says, heaven is not an empire, it's not a temple, It's not a corporation. It's not an economy. Heaven is not even in the cold and empty Christian church. Heaven is not an institution. Heaven is in the free and open air. It's in our relationships to one another. It's the connection between you and me. It's the connection between you and this earth. That interdependency, that mutuality, I think is the kingdom of heaven. And who could possibly give authority for that to happen? Nobody. Because. Everybody does. We share in that authority. It's woven into the fabric of this universe because it's the way that we live our lives. And as I say all this, I realize it's really ironic that I am standing here speaking with some measure of authority about how everyone has authority. (laughs) Like, we still have these old structures of hierarchy in the church where you all are listening to one person. But I hope that what a sermon is, is a conversation between the two of us. It's a conversation between me and you and a conversation between you and yourself and whatever other thoughts you bring to the table, um, your voice, you're listening to your own voice as much as you're listening to mine. I'm just opening up a conversation. I think the religious leaders missed that. They were looking for authority but you don't need authority when there is no hierarchy. When there is mutual autonomy and connection, you don't need obedience and disobedience. And in a circle, everyone is equidistant to the center. Everyone is the same distance from the source. In a circle, you can hear each other's voices, you can have a conversation with each other, and you can resonate in oneness. So in the second portion of our text, Jesus is going to illustrate this with a parable. He's gonna paint a picture, and it's the same setting as last week's parable, and it's the same setting as some other parables this fall. He places it in a vineyard, not in a cold and bare temple, but in the free and open air. So let's read the second portion of our text, Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. This one is the parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I won't. But later he changed his mind and went. And the father went to the second, and he said, The same. And he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. So we have two sons. One says yes, and then doesn't go. The other says no, but then changes his mind and does what the father asked. So Jesus asks them, which of these two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. I don't know about y'all, but when Jesus tells a parable, sometimes I'm just like, I don't understand what this has to do with what we were just talking. Like, what does this have to do with authority? What in the world? And I don't know exactly what the answer to that is. Maybe you have some insights I don't have, but when I read this, I, see, I do see two points about authority. And I think Jesus is saying that authority is not about what you say, it's about what you do it doesn't matter if you say yes or no to the Father. It matters if you actually follow through on what you were supposed to do. And I think he's implying to the Pharisees, you said yes to your religion, but you haven't followed through on love and justice, and that's what matters. I think the second thing he's saying is that spiritual authority is not about staying the same. It's not about preserving things the way that they always were. It's actually in the willingness to change your mind. It's about paying attention. It's about recognizing what loving action actually looks like today when you see it. And the tax collectors and the prostitutes, people who are on the margins of society, they actually saw the rightness of John the baptizer's way. They saw his earthy justice and the repentance he called people to, his loving action they saw what the religious leaders missed because they were paying attention. And that's my question to us today. Wouldn't it be nice if we lived with that kind of presence to what feels real around us, rather than grasping at power and control and wanting things to stay the same, if we noticed what feels right in the shifting world around us, even when it invites you to change your mind. But you know what? if I'm honest, this whole like exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders is honestly a little bit boring to me, and I know I just spent like 15 minutes talking about something that's boring to me, but it's boring because it's great that Jesus is standing up against those in power. Yes, that's nice. Thank you for doing that, Jesus, but I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus was still in a relative position of privilege in that society. To those chief priests and elders, sure, he was a country bumpkin. To the Roman government, he was essentially a non-citizen. He identified himself with someone who was murdered for standing up against power, John the Baptizer, yes, but he was not oppressed in the same way that women and slaves, and lepers, and tax collectors, and prostitutes were oppressed in that society. He was an ally to the oppressed more than he was one of the oppressed at that point in his ministry. And so what would interest me more is if this were a conversation between one of those marginalized people and these leaders. That's the conversation I wish had been recorded. And don't tell me that that couldn't have happened because it was the first century, that it would have been unquestionable, because we do have those stories. Their influence was just dimmed by Christianity when it was institutionalized in the third and fourth centuries. So let me share some of them with you. Thekla was a Turkish prophetess in the first century. She was a contemporary of Paul. She, Paul the Apostle, she asked Paul to baptize her and he said, you're not ready yet. But she knew herself. Her spiritual authority resided within, so she cut her hair short and she baptized herself. Perpetua was a young woman who refused to recant her teachings of love in the face of crushing empire. Sounds like Jesus. Colosseum crowds gathered to watch her dissident death, and as she died, she chanted three words over and over to the crowd. Love, one, another. Love, one, another. That was the subversive message that they killed her for. I think that people across the gender spectrum women, men, gender non-binary, everything in between, have been preaching and prophesying and using their poetic voice for millennia. It just hasn't been preserved in our sacred text, and often it hasn't been in the church. Marginalized voices were speaking with authority, it just wasn't in the church. They chose to. The church chose to uphold the voice of patriarchy instead of overturning the very system that Jesus was trying to overturn in allyship to the oppressed. This is still, as much as I love the church, it's still the area where I see we need the biggest shift. We center and we revolve around the voice of masculinity. Notice I don't say the voice of a man, I'm saying the voice of masculinity. There is still a rebalancing that needs to occur before we can embrace what is true. And you don't have to agree with me. Our bodies have genitals, but our souls are not sexed. We are masculine and feminine and everything in between, all of us. Wouldn't it be nice if we lived this, if we stood in a circle, each of us in our brilliant wholeness of who we are, every member equidistant to the source of love. Jesus advocated for this, but he was not the only voice in the circle. His authority didn't come from his singularity. His authority came from the fact that the words he spoke echoed in the hearts of all the people who were standing in the circle with him. Their hearts and their hands rose up with a yes, and this created the authority behind Jesus' movement. His authority was never about one man. It was about the reality of the ideas that he taught. Every person has equal access to those ideas because they spring up out of the human heart. Ann Ulenoff is a professor, or was, at Union Theological Seminary, And she says we find our authority when we are securely and consciously anchored in our own being, when we come to the solid center of ourselves. Sue Monk Kidd puts it another way. She says we find genuine authority when we become the author of our own identity, when we authorize ourselves. I know that might feel risky, like that might feel dangerous, but just go here with me for a second if we don't believe anymore in original sin, if we don't believe our hearts are desperately wicked, if we don't believe we are hopeless wretches in need of rescue, if we believe Jesus came to show us what was already true about ourselves, that divine goodness inhabits all, and that sin is trying to take what is already ours, then we can also believe that genuine authority comes from the divine within. Does this feel risky? (laughs) Maybe. But in the words of psychologist Carl Rogers, it's an awful, risky thing to live. It just is. Mary Magdalene, the apostle to the apostles, she also understood this. She said the way to freedom is a journey inward. Spiritual authority resides within. It's not based on an external marker, but rather, as Megan Watterson said, on the depth, of someone's spiritual transformation and subsequent wholeness. It's not on what you achieve or what you look like. It's how earnestly you have worked on the inside at uniting the spiritual and the material of your life, at bridging that gap between who you think you should be, who society told you you should be, and who you really are at knowing and discovering and loving and understanding all of those contradictory multitudes within yourself, including your flaws and limitations, including the parts of you that need things outside of you. And Jesus knew this. It's why he answered the religious leader's question with a question. Because the question they really should have been asking was not where do you get your authority, Jesus, but where is my own? And that's a question you can ask yourself, too. Where is your authority? Where are you looking for it? Who gives it? How do you come by it? Maybe you already have it. With every breath, you create your own life. You are not a victim. You're not in need of rescue. You're not being persecuted by some unseen evil. There's pain in this world, yes. There's suffering, yes. Does it happen at the hand of other people? Yes. But are you a victim? Or do you create your own life? Do you need affirmation? Yes. Do you need connection? Yes. Do you need belonging and love and safety? Yes, yes you do but do you need to wait for someone else to hand feed it to you or can you accept some of the power that you already have because in this circle of mutuality you can open your hands to what's there what's already yours you'll have to let go of stuff when you do you're going to lose some things that you were holding tight to you will lose your life to gain it as Jesus taught but I promise it's worth it to gain the authority of your own voice. And there's something about me which is that I can't say one thing without immediately thinking of like five other arguments against it at the exact same time. So while I say in one breath that you have what you need, I also know that some of you, including myself, are coming from this posture of like over resiliency over-reliance on yourself and your own strength. You're pushing through, you're hustling, you're doing what needs to get done, and you've tried for so long to do it on your own, to overcome obstacles on your own, and nothing is working, and you're exhausted. And to you, I wanna say, authority for you might mean honoring and seeing your own deep need for interdependency. You do need connection, you do need nourishment from something outside of yourself, from a source. Maybe it's medication, therapy, companionship, friendship, nap, food, pleasure, rest, whatever it is, recognizing that you're exhausted from caring too much. That is reclaiming your own spiritual voice. You are listening to yourself when your body is screaming enough. Put down the weight of your aloneness, as one of my favorite poets says, and ease into the conversation. Pray with me. God who circles our aloneness and our not aloneness, God who sings in the symphony of our cells. God who hums between two hands holding, God who plants our feet on the ground, God between us, God before us, God around us, God in us, God be with us as we live heaven today. Thank you for listening to the Austin New Church Podcast. To stay connected, Follow us on our Facebook and Instagram pages and head over to austinnewchurch.com where you can get added to our mailing list. Our services are also live streamed on Facebook and YouTube on Sundays at 10 30 a.m. if you'd like to receive the full experience. We're so grateful for who you are and who you are.